listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Hey! So when I record, <laughs> when I record uh, like music, this is the way that I know that if the levels are right on the microphone, you it's like, hey, shout, hey, hey, what? Oh, hey. Yeah, I, th- I thought Woo. we were doing a sound check. But no, that's what I do. That's how we're going to open the podcast. Well, because if I if I do that, then uh, and don't see the microphone peak, then I know that I'm like, I've got it right. Yeah, I, I apologize to all of you who are listening your ears for having to hear that clipping. And the that, very uh, first thing you heard today was me checking the microphone yeah you're welcome it's just the two of us today we yeah. don't have caleb here to say something weird he's at not the top, here so. yeah he's uh on his honeymoon hey, so hey. good for him all right <laughs> <laughs> you die you die <laughs> he's 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 speaking in a sultry voice somewhere but it's not here <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let let us move on. We're done with our relationship series. Let's move on. We're, Song of Solomon is last month. We are yeah. moving forward. Now it's just weird. <laughs> okay, so we have started a new series at United um, on mental health, and you delivered a sermon on anxiety. Specifically, you used the story of Joseph and how he handled anxiety throughout his various uh, trials that he went through, and um, one of the one of the ones that you articulated was how he had a toxic family. So you think about the story of Joseph. He uh, told about his dream. He was given the coat of many colors. His brothers became envious. Then he told him, told them about his dream, about how they were going to bow down to him. That made them even more upset. And they end up deserting him uh, in this pit and he gets sold off into slavery by, I think it was Midianite traders or something like that. Um, but he doesn't become toxic because of his family. And so I think that's an important point here. Like somebody who is, who has anxiety, I think it's not uncommon for their anxiety to be sourced in their dysfunctional family. If they have a family that, even if they just have one person in their family who is dysfunctional, uh, that can be a major source of anxiety. So what does it mean when someone uh, chooses to not become toxic because simply because they have toxicity in their family. What does that look like? Yeah, okay, so just as a refresher, um, anxiety uh, is not a hormonal response. So um, that's not me saying that, that is scientific research, uh, psychological research, that anxiety comes more from your outside circumstances and how you perceive them and how you, uh, you know, how what you think about them and how you meditate on them or how you don't meditate on them, whatever. Um, so their outside circumstances is what creates anxiety and how you handle that. And so when you look at a toxic family, um, you know, that can be a, a high stressor, right? Like if your parents are always fighting or maybe you only have one parent or maybe you are at a broken household, you know, quote unquote broken household, um, you know, or you have a blended family, like that can create a lot of uh, issues and that might not always be toxic. You know, it might just be difficult. And so that's one way to, you know, you need to, first of all, frame your family (laughs) dynamic. And if it's hard, that doesn't necessarily mean 
it is toxic. Um, toxic is the fact that Joseph's family, Joseph's uh, brothers tried to kill him. Like that's yeah, a big they went issue. All the way. You know, they, they literally hated this dude. Um, and that's a toxic family. Like when there is pain and when there is trauma that is caused by the family and not just uh, caused by circumstances that happen in the family, um, but actually caused by someone in the family. That is what we're talking about when we talk about a toxic family. And so, when you're looking at um, how does someone choose to not become toxic in that atmosphere, uh, it's difficult. But I think you know what we learned from Joseph is that this man had the proper perspective on his entire life, in the sense that even though he was 17 at this age, right, or 17 at this time, um, he had this perspective that God had given him a dream. Uh, that God was going to be faithful to to um, to make that dream actually happen, to see that dream become a reality, and uh, we see all throughout his life how he does not turn around and try to repay evil for evil. Um, that he kind of allows God to control, because God is in control. He he allows God to control his life's outcome, um, and so I think the way that we put that into perspective for today, for the here and the now, is if you are in a toxic family or just let's just say toxic relationship, right? The way that you choose to not become toxic in and of yourself uh, is to be aware, quickly aware of red flags in your own health and mental wellness and the way that you think about people, right? So if Joseph would have said, my brothers hate me. I hate my brothers. Screw those guys. Like, oh, you, you're you not going to kill me. I'm going to kill you. Like, you yeah, know. Yeah, then he's repaying evil. With yeah, evil, then he's right? repaying evil for evil, and that would have become toxic. You know, or or say say the Bible accounts that he's in the bottom of the pit, right? Like, this, the Bible doesn't say this. But say the Bible was like, uh, Joseph was in the bottom of the pit, and, you, and as his brothers walked away, you heard Joseph's faint cries saying, I'll get you for this. One day yeah. you will bow to me, and I will put my foot on your neck. He, like <laughs> he picks up a stone out of the clay and just wings it at them, yeah. hoping that he hits Reuben. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hits Reuben, the one nice guy on <laughs> the head. Yeah. No, um, but the Bible doesn't account that, right? Actually, the only interaction that we see with his brothers later on is 13 years later, and yeah, he kind of toys with them, but he doesn't like kill them. He doesn't repay evil for evil. He does some things there that test them and that, you know, um, he kind of messes with their heads a little bit, honestly. Um, however, he doesn't hate them ever. Not at one point does it does the Bible say that Joseph hated his brothers as well. He actually told them to not worry that he was angry or bitter. He actually said, hey, I'm not angry. I'm not bitter with you. Uh, basically saying like, I've forgiven you. Um, and yet his brother still didn't even believe him. So Joseph chose to not repay evil for evil. And I think that's where it has to start at is like, if there, I mean, the Bible doesn't account, but there's again, 13 years in between the time that Joseph is thrown into the pit and the time that he meets his brothers again. Don't you think human nature would be to at least think about that for a while and to think about like, Man, how could they how could they have done that to me? What am I going to do when I see them again? Am I ever going to see them again? You know, if I ever see them again, what am I going to do? And I'm sure that he had to work through 
those thoughts. So it's not just like, oh, he was perfect and he was called by God, so good for him. He probably had to work through some some deep thoughts about what he was going to do when he saw them again. And he chose the right thing, you know? Yeah, what seems like a superpower for Joseph is his ability to recognize that whatever situation he's in is not going to last forever. Um, and I mean, maybe he had moments where he was like, man, when is this going to end? Like this is going on forever. And maybe he's had, he had like moments of despair, but it doesn't seem to have had a lasting impact on his character. And so I think that's a huge piece. You know, if you're going through something difficult, you have to resist the notion. I mean, even if you're not going through something difficult, even if you're about to maybe say you're in like a stepping stone period, or you're in like a uh, limbo period in your life where you really aren't sure what to do next. That doesn't mean that you're going to not be sure forever. Uh, you know, yeah. that would be like Joseph saying, Oh, I'm going to be at the bottom of this pit forever. I'm going to be in jail forever. What, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the crazy thing is, is he could have been, but right. he didn't yeah, resolve. That was to a that reasonable point. outcome. Yeah. Like, like he could have said, well, I guess I'm in this pit forever. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, like, yeah, I mean, it's, what, are, what are you going to do back then? Like, yeah, there's, yeah. You just get thrown into a pit. There's no cell phones. Like there's no yeah. anything. I mean, you, you, he should have had zero hope at that point. Then he should have had zero hope when he was thrown into prison. And yet he was like, he resolved somehow to trust. Yeah. So to contextualize this, um, like you had mentioned Joseph, not, taking retribution on his brothers um, to contextualize this for a person in terms of their own relationships. I think one of the most basic things that you can do to help prevent your arguments from becoming toxic, because I think that arguments and like heated exchange and important conversations that you have with, whether it's your spouse or someone who you have a close relationship with, uh, the arguments often become the points at which the relationship turns toxic. And I think it's because how you fight with someone determines a lot in terms of whether or not your relationship is going to become toxic. And so what we can learn, a basic uh, piece that we can learn from Joseph is that when you are fighting with someone or whenever you are, feel like you've been wronged by someone, uh, you must resist the temptation of just just barraging them with a detailed history of all the things that they've done wrong in the past yeah. that you're, are, that you're supposed to have forgiven them for, or are, are no longer relevant to the particular argument at hand. Um, I think that if you find yourself doing Olympics and gymnastics to try to, or mental gymnastics to try to, uh, associate a wrong from five years ago to an argument that you're having right now, then you probably should just leave that thing in the past and not, bring it into the situation at hand. And I think that that's a huge, that's one of the things Joseph does, right? Like he doesn't, I mean, he, he, he makes, he, he kind of puts them through these tests and like, they're aware of what they did to him, Yeah, but he's not, he's not holding them strictly to that as a matter of course. It's like, it's, it's not like, Oh, well you did this to me. And so therefore I'm going to repay yeah. you equally, or therefore we can't reconcile or therefore, why would I want to build a bridge with you? That sort of thing. Yeah, um, he had all the power to throw them in jail and them to never be seen again. He had all the power in Egypt to kill them and he didn't do it. Yeah, and, and you know... He did put them in prison, but for a different reason. And he, he, had, an, he had an out point for them as well. He said, you're going to be in... You're going to stay here until you bring back your youngest brother. And like, that's the only 
really the only thing that he did that was even close to what they did. And it's not, he didn't do that in a, in a mean way, in a mean spirited way. Yeah. He wasn't trying to inflict the pain onto them that he felt that, that they had done to him. And I think that that's one of the things that people do when they fight, at least people who have a toxic fighting strategy is that they, they want the other person to feel the way they feel. So they try to hurting people, hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. When you, when you're hurting and I think that, you know, goes back to the, your question about like, how do you not become toxic? Like when you're hurting resolve not to also then hurt people so that you cannot hurt so much. Cause guess what? Now you're going to double the hurt down. Like, you know, when you're hurting and you decide, Oh, I'm just going to hurt people uh, because they hurt me. Th- then you're making the world a worse place and you're making your world a worse place. You're making your world more stressful but if you can be gentle, um, like, uh, for instance, the scripture that we're, we're working with um, this month, Philippians 4, uh, Philippians 4, 4 and 5. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then it says, and let your gentleness, like your, like your gentle kindness be evident. Like that's something that even when life is insane, even when it's crazy, even when you've been wronged, You've got to let your gentleness shine through. And, um, you know, oddly enough, that's a fruit of the spirit. So, Mm -hmm. so one of the, another thing that, uh, Joseph does that I think is useful for for us to talk about and people to sort of know is that he didn't use his suffering as an excuse to be destructive. And I think one of the most common outlets for people for this today is alcohol and substance. Um, because the excuse is, well, this difficult thing has happened to me. I am in pain. I am in suffering. I need to numb it. It's okay to numb it because lots of other people numb it and they use substances to do that. And if I go to the right place, I can surround myself with other people who are doing that same exact thing and we can all become buddies and then we can commiserate and then we can just all sit in this space together where we are using what has happened to us to be destructive. Yeah. That's that's, like the most classic way of becoming toxic. Yeah. So like Joseph keeps his his perspective, like he keeps his focus on God instead of doing that. So why is it that that is, I mean, this might be obvious, but maybe we'll try to dig into it. Why is it that keeping your focus on God is the opposite of those things? Like, and it doesn't have to be alcohol. It could just be any kind of destructive, like it could even be deconstructing your faith. Well, think about, think about Joseph, the, the second thing I talked about um, Tuesday was how um, he remained faithful to God and to other people. Um, for instance, when he was uh, when he was thrown in the pit, he was sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife like was thirsty for Joseph. Asked him multiple times, "Will you sleep with me? Will you please sleep with me? Come and lie down with me." You know, and he turned her down every time. Now, if you want to talk about what quote unquote normal people probably would have done is they probably have been like, yeah, I deserve this. Right. Of course. Look at my life. Look at how crappy it's been. Uh, and this man has put me in charge of his household. Why not sleep with his wife? She wants me. Who cares? Right? Like that would be kind of the same idea that you were getting to and that you were alluding to. And that comes from a toxic uh, mindset. And so you know, when you, when you look at that, why does Joseph choose to not is he says, I cannot sleep with you because I would sin against God and against your husband. Like I would be unfaithful to God first, and I would be unfaithful to, uh, to your husband. And 
you know, why would I want to do that? Now, the reason why he was able to resolve that again is because he held God in such a high esteem and he like actually feared God, not in a, I'm afraid of you, but in a sense of like, I have revered you as holy. Um, and this is as early as it can be in the Bible, it's in Genesis. Um, and yet he is revering God as holy and he's choosing to say, my focus is you because I know that you are the God of the universe and you hold all things in your hands and you will work this out for me. You are working it on the unseen. We see it a couple of times. Joseph mentions uh, towards the end of the story that God worked everything out for him, that that God uh, was working in the unseen places, that he worked what was meant for evil for good. So he had to have carried this mantra essentially throughout the 13 years that he was dealing with this crap. And I believe that he resolved in that moment even to say, no, I'm not going to take something that's not mine because God has better for me. This is not the avenue that God has for me. He has something better for me. And I think that's the key there. Yeah, I think people do this because, so there is some truth to the reality that there are people who have like compound problems that end up putting them in a situation where they're just not capable of being as good as other people. So you might think of someone who's like, homeless and also addicted to drugs and also suffering mental illness. And like, so they have these things that may have started out as like ethical, moral choices, but then they compound and the person, and maybe they have trauma in addition to that. And so then they have these infirmities, these things which have become infirmities. Yeah. And I do think it's the case that, um, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think that the reverse is also true. And C.S. Lewis would agree with this uh, proposition that there are people that God sort of grades on a curve in some sense when it comes to uh, a person's capacity to affect, to impact the kingdom of God. Um, and so here's why, here's where it gets murky though. I think that people look at the, uh, the dispossessed or the, the, the least of these, let's say, and they say, okay, that person doesn't have to do as much and so I can, if, if, if I, if I let this thing happen to me, well, it's not that they let the thing happen to them, but it's that when the thing happens to them, they deceive themselves that they, that it it's going to take control of them, that it's, that it is a good reason to become less than who they could be. Um, and like, you know, we talk about Joseph, if he sleeps with Potiphar's wife, um, well, he, he could do that because it's like a coping mechanism because it's like, because he deserves it. Like we were yeah. talking about, like he, you know, he, all these things have happened to him. It's been unfair because it's been unfair. Then he can do this thing. And so the, the it's a dangerous game to play in some sense to take an inventory of all the bad things that have happened to you and then tell yourself that you are a victim because of that or that you can't get up you can't get back up because of that because the reality there is a re, there is some reality to the sense that there are people in situations where it's very difficult to get back up uh-huh. and that we should allow extra grace for those people uh, but not everybody are those people some people are pretending to be those people and yeah. you could be one of the people who's pretending to be a person like that and and so you really have to search your heart and be like okay am i just taking this on 
and making myself look like the oppressed or a victim so that I can have an easy avenue towards the things that wouldn't be justifiable if I didn't cast myself this way. Yeah. And I think that that's why people start deconstructing their faith. Honestly, I think that's a big part of it. Like to, to deconstruct your faith, you have to assume before you start that you're trying to destroy it. Like, so here's the opposite, let's say of deconstructing your faith. When I first started reading the Bible, I told myself, there's going to be a lot of things in here that I don't understand what I'm going to assert or that seem like contradictions or like that they're wrong or that they are not rational or they don't Mm -hmm. make sense or they're not real. I told myself before I started, every time I run into something like that, I'm going to assume that the problem is me. I'm going to assume that I just don't know enough yet. I don't understand enough yet. That's the opposite of the mindset of someone who deconstructs. And I think that what happens is that when you take that mi- that destructive mindset, you actually stop seeing the truth. Like you yeah. can't see it anymore. And so all you see are the things that you want to see. Well, because it would create come apart. You you bring up a really good point, and I didn't think we we're going to go to uh, deconstructionism here, but you bring up a really good point in that if you don't actually start with the end goal of of deconstruction in mind, then you actually create more anxiety on yourself because you're like, well, what if I'm wrong? And so in order to self-preserve, you resolve that you can't be wrong so that you don't give yourself more stress um, because there is a, there is a, I would say it's almost you stress uh, in the contradiction that you might have when you read the Bible in your mind, like the cognitive dissonance about like, okay, I'm reading this and I'm supposed to believe this is true, but it's not. Well, I think what people do instead of dealing with that you stress and discovering what is actually true and going through the work of doing that, they freak out because <laughs> they're like, well, I this I was supposed to believe in this thing, but it's obviously not true because it contradicts everything that I believe. And so now in order to not deal with the anxiety of of the cognitive dissonance between your belief and what you're reading, you just assume that, okay, well, everything in there is wrong anyways, and I'm the one that's right, because you can't handle any more stressors, you can't handle any more anxieties, you can't handle any more, uh, you know, any more cognitive dissonance in your life, and so you decide, well, you just resolve, I guess that's just not, it's not real, that's not for me, and I think that you can do that in a lot of different areas, so for instance, you know, when you said that people who are pretending to be even more of a victim than they are, I think that in and of itself is a coping mechanism as well that that alludes itself to this deconstruction thing as well um, in different avenues because you're thinking, well, the stress, the stress of trying to um, focus on the good things and work out of this, you know, work out of this mindset is too hard. And so I'm not going to do it. So instead, I'm just going to dive even deeper um, into just giving myself over to my issues, to my anxieties, to my problems. And that that is the easier pathway, but it is the pathway that leads to more more uh, destruction, right? Like it's the easiest way to move, but it's going to lead to more pain and more issues down the road. And it just continues to snowball. Whether you started acting in that way or whether you actually have the issues that are, that are too hard to overcome, quote unquote. Like if you give yourself over to that, over to those mindsets to avoid the hard work, to avoid the you stress, then 
you are going to end up worse off for it down the road. Yeah, and that that snowballing of it is particularly pernicious because um, what ends up happening is that you start off with the deception that you know the, the, your life is fundamentally unfair and the world is against you and all this, and then as your troubles begin to snowball as a consequence of your actions, that snowball tends to uh, affirm your lie. It affirms your deception and then you you become further convinced of what the lie that you told yourself to be in the begin the beginning and then you kind of get to this place where you're like okay well yeah my life has been effect my life has been nothing but spreading misery to other people and sins all over the place <clears throat> i'm sinning in word thought and deed and that's just that's just my character that's who i am now and you have this idea that if there's a God at all, when you get to him, you're going to be able to tell him about all the ways in which he was unfair to you and that will justify it. Yeah. And I think that that's like, oh, that's just a, okay. that's such a dangerous so game to play. Look at Joseph. And I just had this thought. I wish I would have, uh, wish I would have had it before, but I just had this thought. So early on in Joseph's life, when he's 17, he's kind of a punk, honestly. Like he's not perfect. Uh, in fact, the reason, <laughs> one of the reasons why his brothers hated him wasn't just because his father loved him so much. But it was because he had a dream. Um, no, let's go back even further. He used to tattletale on his brothers, essentially. Like he would go out, watch what they were doing with their sheep and how they were working. And then he would report back to his father about how they were doing all the bad things, right? So number one, he's telling on his brothers and doing it kind of secretly. And so creating a... Uh, a chasm there between him and his brothers. Then he has dreams about how they're going to bow to him. And instead of keeping them to himself or just telling his father, he goes and tells his brothers, hey, you fools are going to bow to me and it's going to be awesome. And just so you know, that's what's going to happen. And <laughs> like, and then uh, he goes and tells his father and his father's like, uh, you mean we're going to bow to you? Like, that's kind of weird. Like he didn't really believe in his, in his son, even though he loved him so much, but his father continued to think on uh, the dream and his brothers hated him even more for it. Right. So that like started it. One of the things that you don't see Joseph do later on in his life is to tell Potiphar that God has given him a dream. Don't throw me in jail because God's given me this dream and blah, blah, blah. You don't see him tell the cupbearer or the baker when they, in prison, whenever they say, I, ha I had this dream, can you interpret it? Joseph doesn't say, oh yeah, you know what? I had a dream too. And right. guess yeah, where I'm at now? Like he keeps it to himself. And there is a major change for Joseph to go from kind of inflicting some problems on himself because his brothers didn't like him anyways, but telling them that they're going right. to bow yeah. didn't help. So he kind of caused some of his issues on his own. But after that, you don't see him causing his own issues. Yeah. So there's this, there's this fundamental shift in his character. Like, that's a good point, yeah. man. Like, there, there has to be a change in his mindset of, okay, <laughs> I was being kind of prideful before here by telling everybody about this thing. Maybe I just need to sit on this. Because the dream, Joseph's dream is not mentioned again in the Bible. Yeah, and it's not it's, one time. The, the crazy thing about it is that it's in reference to the end of his story. Yes. So it's not like it's no longer relevant. Like it's yeah. the most relevant dream. It, yeah, it's extremely important. He doesn't bring it back up. But he doesn't bring it back up. And it's the dream that even got the Israelites to Egypt in the first place. Like yeah. you wouldn't have Moses and the Exodus without Joseph. And like you wouldn't have the promised land and the whole freaking, the whole like 40 years in the desert without Joseph's 
happening, it was Joseph's stuff happening in his life that he originally <laughs> caused, essentially, God really caused it, but that he really brought upon himself and then had a fundamental shift of, I'm not going to uh, be prideful on this anymore. I'm actually going to change it. Where he could have, again, with Potiphar, no, you can't throw me in jail. I've got, God gave me this dream and he pulled me out of the pit. And I'm going to tell you that you're going to bow to me one day. And the light, life's not fair, man. This whole world's not fair. Look at, look at what's going on with me. God gave me a dream. Why can't I see it? Like, he didn't fight back yeah, at right. all, man. Huh. That's cool. I sure love the Bible. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other element to that story that I had never thought of before. Uh, if, you have, if you haven't read Joseph's story, you should. You should go back and, and check it out. Yeah, it's uh, Genesis 37 through 50. Like we basically, I mean, we gave you the Cliff Notes version, like the hyper Cliff oh, yeah. Notes version. <laughs> and honestly, it's a, it's, so it's a lot of chapters and it's a lot of verses. So you might want to uh, even listen to it. Like uh, I've been listening to it the past couple of days. Um, chapter 38 is not about Joseph at all. It's about Judah and Tamar. It's kind of randomly just thrown in there. Um, and, but there's a reason for it. Uh, but yeah, so 37 through 50, you want to read more on that. Um, it's going to be awesome. So Yeah, and if this is the first time that you are hearing about the mental health series, I'm sorry you missed the first week. But you don't have to miss the second week because we are having United 727 p.m. Tuesday night at the uh, Hub, the Ohio the Hub Room. Ohio Room on IUP's campus. That's right. That'll be week two, which I believe is going to be kind of like an extension of week one. Yeah. So we, uh, in week one, we're kind of just setting up the context and we are going to give you some actual practical things to do to deal with anxiety because anxiety is real. Like it's not this fake thing that like, even though it starts in the mind, I'm not saying that it's fake and that we should all just get over it and suck it up. Like that is a, that is a terrible way to think. And I'm not saying that. Um, and so we want to give you practical steps in order to do that. And that is what's going to happen this coming Tuesday is how do you actually battle anxiety? All right. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be very useful and you don't want to miss it, folks. So we will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 727 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.